0: Mammon? Yeah. Stuff. Just stuff. Just stuff. Yeah. Treasures. Yeah, I, I had to look that up myself. I think it, it just just general gold treasures, things. Well I kind of have a good <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Do, do you know what manna means? No. I, I had I had my father in law tell me this. The word manna, it means what is it? It's a Hebrew word, word for means, what is it. What is it? Yeah. This food fell from the sky and it, what is it?
1: Yeah. And they just kept holding it that.
0: this am like, what is it stuff? It's kind of fun.
1: Was that, oh yeah? Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, the
0: new word. <laughs> all right, well, I think most of our folks are back in here. Let's go ahead and we'll break and then we'll jump in. I'll take another brief moment because I recognize I didn't get to finish the last of uh, letter C from last week. I'll do that real quick because we're actually going to hit it kind of fast and you'll see why when I do it. And then we'll get on into, um, we'll get on into section of the today. So let's pray together. Our God, thank you again for giving us a good day together in the house of God. And Lord, there's nothing as as your children, as people of God. We love doing more and honoring you and praising you. Lord, we love studying your Word. We love your Word. So I pray that you would help us to uh, Lord, to study the things that are therein. May they work on our hearts. And may they refine us and work on us. And Lord, in a st- study such as this, I pray that you, uh, Lord, uh, uh, just pique our intellect. Help us to learn some things. Lord, may we uh, hunger even more for the things that we don't understand when we go into studies like this. Uh, the Lord, above all, I pray that you would be glorified out of it. For it's in your name. Amen. Okay, um, so I will do this. I'll start right here. At the very beginning, I'll go through these very quickly. The very first lesson we talked about was you have to understand where you're coming from and your philosophy of how you study the Bible to begin with before you can ever start building on getting to the end times. Uh, number one, you said you have to understand, well, I wish there was another block under here, but I didn't. Do you read the Bible literally or do you read the Bible metaphorically? Um, a lot of people just try really hard to see more things more spiritualized. Personally, I'm the person that reads the Bible more literally. Unless there's a reason for me not to take it literally, I don't. Uh, or I, um, yeah. If, if unless there's a reason to see it as a metaphor, then I don't. I, I think it's going to be something that's literal. Uh, because of that, that affects your belief in Israel. Does the church replace Israel? Some people see it very spiritual. Man, Israel's now gone. The church has taken its place. Personally, I I believe Israel is Israel and the church is the church. Then uh, that affects how you read prophecy and how you read prophecy affects what you see of your end times. And I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I fully recognize there are men much smarter than I on both sides of this issue. I am just coming to you from my current understanding of what I believe the scripture is, um, has, has shown for me. Then we looked at this, we talked about the differences between the two, I showed you where the Israel is Israel and a lot of the reasons why we believe the Israel and the church are separate. That comes down to these next two slides. Uh, we believe, or I personally believe that the uh, Israel and the church are separate because of the promises, because of the kingdom, and because of the pride of Christ. God gave a number of promises to Israel. He said there would be a kingdom that will be on Jesus' shoulders, a physical kingdom. He promised David, someone will sit on your throne forever. Now, either he meant that or he didn't. I take that very literally. Uh, So when you take a look at the kingdom, he said there would be a resurrected Israel, Ezekiel chapter 37. Either Israel is going to resurrect as a kingdom or they're not. Um, Then, of course, we see the bride of Christ, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, We're going to take a look at the bride. The Bible calls that a mystery. That's something that was never talked about in the Old Testament. We're going to show you what that is. Um, This is where you start... uh, I'm sorry. That's where you see some of the issues with people that uh, tend to think that it's very spiritual. You mix the two together. Israel and the church are interchangeable. Um, They would say there is no literal Israel. It's just the spiritual church now. Um, A lot of folks would think there is no literal thousand year reign that's largely a metaphor. See again this rhyme more literal I think thousand years means a thousand years. Um, they say Christ the kingdom is now and reigning in your hearts now. Um, and then the bride of course they would say that would be the same that would be equated with Israel in a larger sense. Um, we'll go through these notes. Last week I gave you this timeline. Uh, there's a few things that we're missing from this and we will try to fill in the blanks today and I'll pick up what your notes that I didn't What what I did for this timeline, this one I'm going to be ready to show you now. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a Jew who is living at the very end of the Old Testament. This is what you would have known. This is what the Old Testament prophecies would have shown. Okay, so you had the Jews that was in their Old Testament time. You would have known that Jesus is going to come. I want to tell you that was a very general sense. Okay, we know Jesus was or is going to have a second coming. The Jews at the time, my understanding of their understanding is they just knew that he was going to come in general. They saw that he was going to come out of Bethlehem. Man, they knew that he was going to be born. They knew he was going to fulfill these prophecies, be born of the a virgin. They knew all this stuff. All that stuff's come true. There were other prophecies about him having the government on his shoulders about him being a leader, about him sitting on the throne. They were looking at these two and saying, oh man, this is going to happen at the same time. They didn't realize Jesus was going to come twice with two different purposes. See, that we now know because he didn't do all the stuff he said he was going to do the first time. So they knew Jesus was going to come. That was in a general sense. They knew there was going to be a time of tribulation. We looked at that in in Daniel chapter number uh, 12 and Daniel chapter number 9. We saw that that's, that's a thing they knew about. So Daniel prophesied that. Um, I probably, well, okay. I'm going to give you some notes about the second coming. There were prophecies about the second coming in the Old Testament. I don't necessarily know that they knew it was going to be a second coming. I think maybe they were still looking for Jesus just to come in general. I could be wrong about that. This is I'm trying to reason with their understanding of the scripture at their time. So that's why there was a little bit of confusion about the kingdom, about the thousand-year reign, about the kingdom, because even Jesus, they were asking him, Lord, all right, man, you're here. When are you going to set up your kingdom? Well, I mean, We're waiting for you to do it. There was even a point in time when they went and they grabbed Jesus physically. They grabbed him, and they were going to go set him up and put him on a throne. Here you are. You rule us. And somehow he just kind of slipped out of that situation privately. Um, they wanted him to reign now. They were ready for him to fulfill the prophecies now. I'm starting to think also, I probably shouldn't have put Armageddon on here just yet because that comes up in Revelation. Um, Not a a huge deal. But again, they knew about the kingdom and the coming kingdom. So there were some things that the Jews knew. There were some things that they didn't know. There were some prophecies that kind of got squished together. um, They should have been separated. That's why largely they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was when he came. By the way. If you were an Orthodox Jew today, you still don't think he showed up the first time. Because he still hasn't fulfilled the prophecies that still haven't been fulfilled yet. So we know he's still coming. We're waiting for him to come up the second time. They're waiting for him to show up the first time, which he's already done. So here's, here's your blanks. If you have the notes from last week, I'm going to give you this. letter C, that would have been the second coming of Christ. Okay, the second coming of Christ. Largely, Um, the notes that I gave you here are in the New Testament because we know from the New Testament He's going to come a second time, right? Because the beginning of the New Testament He showed up the first time. That's when we started to figure out there was a first and a second. Uh, Let's look at Hebrews 9.28 real quick. I'm just going to read that one to you. Yes, it's a New Testament passage, um, but we'll still look at that. Letter C was the second coming of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 28. You guys know that's the coffee book of the Bible, right? (laughs) Hebrews. (laughs) Hebrews 9, 28. Uh, The Bible says this So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's something that they didn't quite understand. They were waiting for him to show up and just to do everything he was going to do all at once. They didn't realize he was going to end up coming twice. So letter C is the second coming of Christ. And then letter D, if you guys have that, I'm not sure if you do or not. In my notes, I put letter D is a thousand-year reign of Christ. Which I think as far as the Old Testament is concerned, those things are just kind of synonymous to kingdom in general. Um, Where Christ is going to sit on his throne, he's going to rule and reign. All right, and that would lead us on into number, section number three. I'm not going to give you your blanks up on here. I'm just going to leave the timeline up here. This is what I want to show you. Um, before I give you what comes next, I want you to understand how I'm going about these lessons. What I'm doing right now is, imagine a chessboard. I'm setting up all pieces. I'm showing you what these individual pieces are, and then once we have all the pieces set, then we're going to dive into each one individually and see how they move around. Okay? So so today, is, is um, I guess what I'm getting at is all the things you're seeing over the next few weeks, we're going to start getting away from the spotlight view and really, or the, the floodlight view, really spotlighting in on each one of these things individually and, and digging into them. So just giving you the broad picture right now. So last week, I gave you the Old Testament Jewish prophecies for what's going to come. Today I'm going to give you section number three, what's called the great mystery. Okay? The great mystery. I'm going to give you some definitions for this. Mystery is a word used in the Bible for this. Something that was not before revealed. Something that was not before revealed. Folks, there's some things in the New Testament. There were prophecies that were given. There were promises, I guess you could say, that were made, that were never talked about in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul, he actually used that word quite a bit. We're going to look at some of his stuff. He's like, look, I'm giving to you a mystery. You don't know what this means. This is new to you. And then he goes into it. And he starts preaching and teaching. So uh, we need to get these words precise when we start reading because words matter. They matter. Uh, next would be the word church. Yeah, this is a big one. Man, I could debate on this one with some guys I know for a couple hours. Uh, the word church means a called out assembly a called-out assembly. Now, here's why I say that that some people debate on this. If I were to ask you this, I would say, hey, what's the church? The the, the thing you immediately go to is people say, oh, it's not the building, it's the people. Okay, good. What people is it? And that's when the debate starts. Some people say, oh, it's the people within the four walls of of a building. And other people would say, oh, no, no, it's every single person that's saved in the entire world. They're part of the church. And thus, in lies the debate. My answer to that is, it depends on what verse you read. Because if you talk about the church at Thessalonica, that's the church within those four walls. When you start talking about the bride of Christ, which is a called out assembly, that's talking about everybody in the Which leads us to our next uh, definition, the bride. Those found in Christ during the New Testament church age. Okay? This is important. The bride is those found in Christ during the New Testament church age. I'm going to, we're going to have some fun with some stuff in a minute. I'm going to really make you think. Which is where this fourth one comes in. The word in Christ, two words rather, in Christ, that is going to refer to a saved member of the bride. A saved member of the bride. Also, very important. So I want to make sure you have these. You have them in front of you. we we'll talk about why in a little bit. In Christ is a saved member of the bride. So if some of these terms you've never heard of before, Pastor, you're already losing me, don't worry. We're, we're going to come full circle and hit up all this a second time in more detail. Uh, this is just, you know, like I said, setting up the board. So here's what we're going to look at today. In general, we are going to talk about prophecies that have never before given that we find in the New Testament that were given to the church. Uh, so let's first go to Ephesians, chapter number 3, verse number 3. Ephesians, chapter number 3, verse number 3. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church at Ephesus. He's writing to some Gentiles, and they were not Jews. By the way, the book of Ephesians is a very, very good family book. It talks about husbands, wives, and children. And then it talks about how the church is and Jesus' and bride. It's a good book for that, too. Ephesians 3. Let's read verse number 1, 2, and 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for <coughs> the Gentiles, the yeah, was in prisoners, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as i wrote afore in few words whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men and is now excuse me and is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is it? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So letter A, Gentile salvation was a mystery. Gentile salvation was a mystery. Did you guys see what he just said? He's like, look, this this was a revelation that was given to me and the other apostles. This was something that was not known in previous ages. No one knew about this before. So if you start reading stuff about some of the apostles and some arguments they got into, they they got pretty hot one with another about how, uh, they kind of upset, about how some of the Gentiles were going to get preached to. Man, this is, this is our God. This is God of the Jews. How dare we say that the, the Gentiles are going to get to be a part of this? Now, when we take a look at this, and I think this is, I'm just going to give you this nugget. If you catch it, great. If not, we'll talk about it some more. Um, number six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the Gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, the way the Gentiles get to be part of that promise is that we get to marry into that family. Okay? We marry into it. That's why the Bible calls us the bride. That's how we are fellow heirs with that. We are still not part of necessarily... In the same way, nationally, but we are married into it. That's how we get to be partakers. We are grafted in, as some people have said. So, letter A, Gentile salvation, that was a mystery. Right? Oh, by the way, number one, I'm sorry, I missed one. The church was never spoken about in the Old Testament. The church was never spoken about in the Old Testament. So the, the church in general, the idea that there was going to be a church, the Jews didn't understand. That, that was man, that was foreign to them. Yes, sir? Could, could a person become a Jew? I mean, they talked about proselytes, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just by whatever, the rituals or whatever? So you're talking about as it relates to a person... Uh, you told me as it relates to almost salvation, or just as in getting being part of that nation. Because it's kind of funny that Jesus. As Jews a believer are, in God. Okay. Uh, yeah. According to the way the Jews believe. Absolutely. Yeah, because there were people. But the first one that always comes to my mind is Rahab the harlot. You know, she she was not she was not of that race. She was not of that nation. She wasn't part of the family. She wasn't part of any of that. Um, She was, in fact, part of the family of Jericho. She lived there. But we now have her recorded in the family of God. You know, from her, from the birth that she had, Jesus Christ was born. So she would be someone that we would call a proselyte. So while she wasn't born into that family, she more or less was grafted in, or probably even more appropriately, she was married into that family. She started taking on all of the laws, and by faith, she believed that the God of the Jews was Jehovah God, and that was counted her for salvation. We're actually going to talk about Abraham with that here in a few minutes. So, so yeah, someone could become one of um, one of those. So, uh, as it as it relates then <coughs> excuse me, uh, to the church, the church was not was not known about in the Old Testament. That was something totally new. If a person wanted to become a child of God in the Old Testament, uh, the path. Was by faith in the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, which is Jehovah. So let it be. The bride and its future was a mystery. The bride and its future was a mystery. Okay? Now, I I make no bones about this. Even even throughout my my study, I'm a guy that I do believe there is a rapture, and I believe that rapture is pre tribulation. Which is why I'm going to give you what I see is happening here. This was not talked about before. I'm going to show you how the Bible shows you that it was not talked about in the Old Testament. This is something new. The New Testament, the, the church in general. Uh, I don't have a pointer today. But it says this was Paul. It was his great mystery it was never spoken of in the Bible. The church is comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. Man, both of them are in this. God works in and through his bride today. So that's God's chosen agent. So you have this, notice that that dark green bar like that. This is the whole church age. This is the time of the church. At the end of it is the rapture. I'm going to show you why. I believe this is also a mystery that was never talked about in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 15.50. Turn there with me. So the church as Christ. Oh, wait a minute. Did I skip letter B? I did. I'm sorry. I'm trying to give you letter C and I've skipped B. We need we need to do B first. Uh, letter B. The church as Christ's bride was a mystery. We're already in Ephesians, so let's go ahead and do that. Ephesians 5.32. So the, the whole idea of of the church being being the bride, bringing that married part, marrying into the family, that was something that was not known. So, Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 32. If you read all of Ephesians 5, uh, well, I would say starting probably primarily at verse number 19 and on, that whole passage talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. You know, husbands and wives, submitting yourselves one to another as unto the Lord. Wives, submitting yourselves And husbands. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's, that's this passage. Husbands and wives loving one another. Look at verse number 32. This is a great mystery. Man, there's our word again. This is a mystery. This was not talked about before. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Alright, what, what does that have to do with Christ and the church? Uh, go back to verse number 25. Um, I'm sorry, verse number 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish, so all men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So then he starts talking about men and women again. So then you go on to verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is the bride of Christ. Christ, and we're, and we're going to talk about marriage pictures later on when we get into looking at this and the way weddings were done in the Bible. But you see that Jesus bought and paid for his bride. And then beyond that, he wants to present his bride as a glorious bride, veiled in white, presentable. And he wants to present that to himself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make ourselves ready for the day that we get to see our groom. It was an amazing picture. So Jesus sees us, the church, okay, this is not Israel, this is the church, he even says that in verse number, or uh, was it? Verse number 27. That he might present it to himself a glorious bride. Church, verse number thirty-two. This is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Israel is not the church. Israel is not the bride. Israel is Israel. That's God's nation. The church is the bride. Those things are separate. So then you look at um, First Corinthians. I'm sorry, Ephesians five thirty-two. There was a mystery that the church was going to be Jesus's bride. That was never talked about before. All right. Now let her see. This is another mystery. 1 Corinthians 15.50 50. 1 Corinthians 15.50 Oh, I'm sorry, 51. Yeah, obviously. I should have just kept reading. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. So the Bible says this. Behold, I show you a mystery. There it is. This has not been talked about before. No one else knows about this. This is something that God is revealing to us right now. Behold, I show it to you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, it was we. Apostle Paul, he's talking to a church. This is Christians in the town of Corinth. Okay, This is, again, a church book. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Folks, I believe that this verse is starting to already lend itself to the future rapture. And here's why. The Jewish resurrection was already talked about in the Old Testament. If this was talking about the same thing, it wouldn't have been a mystery. Paul would have just been rehashing something that was already talked about in the book of Daniel. In fact, Paul did that a lot. He would say, have you not read that the scripture said this? This is what Isaiah said. This is what Jeremiah said. Paul referred back to the Old Testament a lot. But he's saying, no, this is something new. This is a mystery. This is something we have not talked about before. I don't even think this talks about us getting new bodies because Ezekiel 37 talked about getting new bodies. The dry bones that were there, hey, they get to come back up and they get all their stuff back, right? So the fact that bodily resurrection, this isn't even new. This is talking about something that's going to happen to the church, which brings us to the most famous of those passages, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. So the same phrasage as in Corinthians is used in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And then we'll read down, of course, to verse number 18. When we look at the rapt, what uh, when we look at what we call the rapture more in depth, we'll start picking apart the individual phrases and how they lend themselves to the teaching. But in general, this is still a mystery. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, you'll see the exact same phrases. Phrases. But I would have not have you to be excuse me, ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, then which sleep in Jesus will he bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. I'll just go ahead and start it now. In the clouds, that's important because Jesus never actually comes here. A lot of people accuse the rapture of being the second coming of Christ, then he comes a third time. No, he doesn't actually have a coming here. He stays up in the clouds. We go up to meet him up there. So we meet him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You'll notice the same phraseology here as you see over in Corinthians, where Paul said, This is a mystery. We haven't talked about this before. This is new. This is not the same thing as in the Old Testament. It's something different. So, he, of course, then he goes into it. i um, talking about not preventing them which are asleep, but we will be changed. Real quick, funny. Somebody said that's the verse that ought to be used in every nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Right? <laughs> babies. Tigers. I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway. <laughs> so, so we see the bride and its future was a mystery. Now I'm going to give you another one. We're not actually going to see the word mystery here, but I am going to show it to you. This is where we're going to have fun. We might get out of here a little bit early, depending on how this goes. I'm going to stretch your thinking here. Um, And here's why I'm stretching your thinking. Um, You're already here. Look at verse number... um, Let's see... Okay, look at verse number 16. For the, Lord himself, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We're going to talk about in Christ for um, a and here's, and here's why. And I'm going to spend a little later that a little bit more, again, when we spotlight the rapture in general. But I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. Um, the question here is, Do you think people in the Old Testament, when they got saved, were they considered in Christ? That's the question. Now, if you ponder that for a minute, people saved in the Old Testament, were they in Christ? I'm going to show you some scriptures. We're going to talk about it. And then I think we're going to come to a conclusion. I'm going to show you why I came to that conclusion. Start with me in Romans chapter number 4, verses number 3 through 5. Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Romans 4, 3 through 5. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse number 3, For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of death. Primarily we're focusing on Abraham. The Bible says that he believed in God. I want you to think back to the time of the patriarchs. I'm talking not not to the end where you have Zechariah, Malachi, Haggai, before you get to Matthew, but before they had the the writings of the old the major and minor prophets. So Abraham... Do you think Abraham knew that there was going to be a Messiah, who was the Son of God, that was going to come? Do, do we have any indication that Abraham knew that? Personally, I don't think so. I, I fully recognize the very first prophecy we have about Jesus coming is in Genesis chapter number 3, when the Bible says there's that serpent, and man, that serpent is going to get his head bruised, but it's going to also bruise his heel. That's when Jesus ultimately squishes the head of that serpent. And that happened when Jesus was born and died on the cross. Okay, got it. But we know that now because we get to look back. So did Abraham know that there was going to be a Messiah named Jesus? Isaac? Jacob? Joseph? Did any of those guys know that there was going to be a Messiah? Well, those prophecies hadn't been written yet. In fact, the nation of Israel wasn't even a nation yet. I mean, the Bible says Jacob; he's the one that changed his name into Israel. That's where the the whole the whole family come from, the family of God. So, so that was not known. Here's why I brought you to this passage: Romans chapter number four, verse number three. For what say the scriptures? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed in Jehovah. Abraham believed in the one they called Adonai, right? Jehovah Jireh. They believed in the Almighty God. Now, please understand, that does not discredit that Jesus still had to pay for his sin. Alright? I'm not, I'm not discrediting that. Had Jesus not died on the cross, Abraham's sin still would not have been forgiven. The thing is, Abraham didn't have all the information that the prophets had when it was revealed that Jesus was going to come and die and pay for those sins. I'm also going to show you this. Let's, let's keep looking at some scriptures. I, I'm just, what I'm doing is I'm pointing out that some of the semantics, excuse me, some of the semantics of salvation in the Old Testament and the New Testament, pre-Jesus and post-Jesus were different, though they were both by faith. Faith has always been and how, will always be the standard but there was still some stuff that was different. Look at this, 2 Timothy 1.14. I don't even have blanks for these, but you can just see them. 2 Timothy 1.14. Let's look and read this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 14. 2 Timothy 1, verse number 14. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. All right, I'm going to ask you another question. This is going to stretch you. Did people in the Old Testament who believed in God, did they have the indwelling Holy Spirit the way that Christians do in the New Testament? They didn't. Now, please understand, the Holy Spirit would still work through people. Case in point, there was Samson. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and that guy had so much incredible strength, he was able to grab the pillars of a Colosseum and rip those things down with his bare hands. However, when he got his hair cut off, the Holy Spirit left him. That's different than what we have today. Today, we have an indwelling Holy Spirit that will never leave us. The Bible says, according to this right here, the Holy Ghost, the moment you get saved, I mean, He lives within you. You can go back to the time of the uh, apostles when this was a new thing. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Man, that was that was new. It was, it was something different. So the result of salvation was different. Having Jesus already died and paying for their sins was different. How about this? I'm going to show you some other phrases where this... So, excuse me, other scriptures where this phrase in Christ is found. You're already in Romans. I'm sorry, I know you're not but We were in Romans before. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8 verse number 1. I know we're flipping. We're flipping. Romans 8 verse number 1. Romans 8 verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, again, that's we're starting to see in Christ. It's almost like that phrase is being related to in the sense of salvation. Okay? Uh, Let's look at the next one. Romans 12.5 We're already already in Romans so let's go to Romans 12.5 So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Did you see that? So we being many are one body in Christ. Folks, how many times has the body of Christ been related to as a phrase in the church? As a church would say, "Hey, we're the body of Christ." Who are those? Those that are in Christ, the church age. That's something new. That's something that that idea of being in Christ is something not found until the New Testament. How about this one? Ephesians five seventeen. I'm really going to stretch you with this one. Ephesians five seventeen. Ephesians five seventeen. Man, I went and done it again. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do the combo again because I really need you to see this one. It's in Ephesians. I just don't know the exact scripture there, are I have a bad habit of punching the wrong key or writing this down. Okay, well, that's why. Because I was so habitually going to Ephesians. 2 2 Corinthians 5.17 I'm not even in the right book. Didn't I just say I knew it was in Ephesians? And mm-hmm. no, I was still wrong. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here we go. Alright, that's where I want to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Here's why I'm saying this is going to stretch you. Do we see the phraseology or the idea of a person becoming a new creature being found in the Old Testament? Not that I'm aware of. As far as I can tell, when you see somebody in the Old Testament, they put their faith in God. And that's just, that's just what they did. They would then start living according to the law. They would say, hey, this is God's law. Okay, man, I, I believe in Jehovah, so I'm going to start living to that. And they would start living by the law. But what's different about this is what I'm trying to show you is when a person gets saved today, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells that person, and they can have a radical change almost overnight. I mean, there's something different about their spirit. There's something different about their heart. There's something different about their attitude. They are a new creature, the Bible says. How does that happen? Because they are in Christ, right? There was no one found in Christ, by my understanding, in the Old Testament. Now, they were still saved, if you want to use that word. They still had faith, but their faith was in Jehovah God. They didn't even know there was going to be a Jesus yet until it was prophesied about. We'll look at one more together, and then we'll kind of put this together. That was 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. Let me cross out Ephesians there. Um, This is one I think that kind of gives us the the best picture. Galatians 6.15. Galatians 6.15. Galatians six fifteen, for in Christ Jesus, right, these people are saved again. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, excuse me, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. See there again. He kind of, I think, Paul is trying to distinguish the difference between someone who is found in Christ versus someone who just follows the law for the sake of doing the law. So, look, if you're legitimately in Christ, what you do as far as the law regards that doesn't matter in this New Testament age. It just matters whether you're in Christ or not. However, then in the Old Testament, if you believed God, if you lined yourself up with God, you said, hey, I want to start worshiping Jehovah God, then by default, you would start following the law. Doing the law didn't make you a child of Jehovah. But a child of Jehovah would follow the law. Does that make sense? So I said all that to say this. My understanding currently of this phrase. And I say that for a reason, my current understanding of this phrase because I am always open to learning. But I currently believe that this phrase in Christ talks about people who are saved members of the bride. This is something that Jesus bought and paid for. The Bible talks about Jesus being the first fruits of the church. He is the head of the church. So if you are in Christ, You are someone that is saved during the church age. So I say that because when we go back and look at the rapture passage, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet him in the air. The reason I still think that that lends itself to a rapture which is different than the Old Testament where it talked about the future resurrection of the nation of Israel is because the nation of Israel wasn't in Christ. They were the nation of God. The bride is the bride in Christ Jesus. Starting so to see the two different separations there. So again, this whole thing today, our whole lesson today, I was just setting up the puzzle piece, still trying to show you that there were prophecies given for the Old Testament. Last week we showed you the prophecies for the Old Testament, showed us that at the end of the seven years of tribulation, where you see the second coming slash resurrection, that's the resurrection for the nation of Israel. That's Ezekiel 37. That's when God resurrects His kingdom with which He will rule the world, sitting on the throne of David. That is a true resurrection of the nation of Israel. The true and faithful Old Testament Jews. We could say Old Testament saints. That's different than the bride. The bride was never talked about in the Old Testament. And that was, that was a mystery. These are the people that are found in Christ. These are the ones that Jesus Christ was here and when he set up his church and said, hey, you're going to be my bride. You're going to be found in me. I'm going to give you my spirit. Uh, you can actually go back and find out. I think it's in Acts. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. That was kind of here in that transition period there too. Uh, a little bit in the book of John. John 20. Okay? Anyway. So, love going over today. I know, I know I stretched your thinking. I stretched your thinking because these terms are important. I think having a proper understanding of each individual word, that makes a big difference in how you think. Uh, it, it really can truly, even that word mystery, I mean, that, that has a major bearing on how you read the scriptures. So what we're going to do is, just, uh, let's go ahead and pray, because we're already out of time. It's the comedy hour. Uh, yes, sir. Just, uh, what is the point for the New Testament? Brand? Oh, I'm sorry. New Testament salvation was a mystery. New Testament salvation was a mystery because the indwelling Holy Spirit was different. Um, the fact that Jesus was the final sacrifice was different. The fact that the Jews or the Gentiles were not part of it—that was different. I mean, the whole, the whole idea of who, who got to be part of the family of God—Jews—they kind of had to balk at that. That was turning their world upside down. All right. Uh, any, any other questions, man? Come find me after the service is over. We'll, we'll talk. We'll chat about it. And if there's there's something that I missed. And by all means, let's let the Word of God be our teacher, not just me. Hey, we talked about that in Sunday school. People <laughs> just listen to me. Listen to the Bible. That's a that's a big deal. So, alright, let's pray together. We we'll miss God, we love you, And Lord, I pray that ultimately You would help us to, Lord, have a mind that no matter how we land on these things, I pray You would help us to have a mind that wants nothing more than to glorify You, to honor You, and to live for You. And Lord, no matter how these things play out in the future, what we want is to see souls saved. And Lord, we want to see people in that future kingdom with us, honoring, serving you. I pray that you would help us to be busy about building that kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to go. Uh, Lord, go with the graces of God as we continue this week. I pray you, keep us from sin. Lord, help us keep our hearts and minds focused on you and bring us back together safely the next time. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, and don't forget, if you still need a... um